Well, good morning. We're going to jump right in. Um, I've had quite a week. It's been a good week. It's been a, um, a revealing week, just personally, as I've spent time with the Lord and studied for this message. Um, you ever, do you ever plan for something to go a certain way, and then it doesn't? Right? Um, every day. <laughs> I uh, I had mapped out this sermon series, six-part message on prayer, uh, sermon series entitled Pray, just simply pray. And we're going to spend the first three weeks talking about the internal. We've talked about search me, uh, search me, break me, and send me. And it was kind of that, Lord, do something in me first. And, and my plan was today to move into kind of more of a practical uh, let's let's unpack or let's explore some of what the word talks about is what prayer is, and we're going to look at you know the, the prayer of faith and the prayer of intercession. And I was just going to give some practical tools, and then God got in the way and stopped all of that in its tracks. Um, uh, well, let me let me say this. So we've been in. If 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 you're um, New with us this morning, I want to give you a little context. Uh, if you maybe missed the last couple of weeks, please go online, listen to the messages online. They're posted each week, and you can uh, follow along. We've been having great conversation in our life groups on Tuesday nights. I encourage you, if you're not plugged into a life group, uh, find a life group. We have, well, find one of the two. We have two, both on Tuesday nights. Um, and so Tuesdays aren't a good night for you right now. We'll, we're working on some more, but, but if you are available on Tuesdays, Make it a priority to be at Life Group and go deeper in these conversations. We started this series on prayer, and I used the analogy of this wood stove that we'll see up on the screen here. This is a wood stove that we had in our house in Anchorage, and, uh, and it was really a key part of our heating our home in the winter. We had uh, a furnace that would heat the home, but not as effectively as this wood stove. And I realized really quickly that this wood stove was only effective if there was a fire in it. Otherwise, it was just a big honking piece of metal in the corner and not very pretty to look at. Um, but man, when there's a fire in it, not a, it, it was the most beautiful thing in the house. When it's negative 13 outside and there's a glowing fire, you're like, I, I like that better than a big screen TV. Um, but there had to be a fire and not just a small fire. There had to be a consuming fire, a good coal bed in there that would heat that, that entire metal monstrosity up, and it would get our home just nice and nice and toasty. been talking about how prayer is the same way. The prayer in the life of the believer is like a wood stove that needs to be cultivated. A fire needs to be started, and then it needs to be stoked. And it needs, there, there's logs that need to be added in, and you need to start with a kindling and, and get it bigger and bigger. And, and, then, and then as the fire grows, you get more logs on it, and it get, becomes more efficient. It burns hotter, and, and you feel the effects. Sometimes we don't feel the effects of our prayer life because we're throwing up random prayers like, like logs that aren't on fire. And God says, I want, it, I want not only you to feel the effect of your prayer life, but I want other people to feel the effect of your prayer life. But it has to be cultivated. It has to be stoked. So it starts on the inside. James, James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And, and I'd mentioned how we like the powerful and effective part. I'm like, hey, tell me, tell me, sell me something or give me something that's power, powerful and effective. And I'm going to be like, yes. I'm a tool guy. If you give me a powerful and effective tool, yeah, that's going in my toolbox. I, I want the right tool. 
We skip over the righteous part, though. The prayer of a righteous man, the prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective. There's a caveat that, that there needs to be something happening in our lives that fuels our prayer life. So this picture of the wood stove, the picture of that fire that's burning on the inside of us, that then consumes those things that come our way like they're nothing. Like they're nothing. Search me, break me, and send me. Search me, break me, send me. Like I said, I intended to kind of shift from that internal focus to now let's just get into some nitty-gritty, and then I got stuck. I got stuck. I got stuck on Isaiah's experience with God. Um, I got stuck sitting at my desk in my office this week with the Bible open in front of me. These three words, here I am. We, have, we focused last week really heavily on the send me part. Here I am, send me. And that's where we kind of landed and the Lord said, whoa, slow down. You missed something. I believe God is doing a work in our church and in our lives that's it's gone below the surface. Sometimes we can allow God to just kind of mess with the surface a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Okay, God, would you just do this little tweak here and this little tweak? But don't, don't get too invasive, right? Like we like outpatient surgery, but don't check me in for something major because it's going to hurt. I believe God's doing a deeper work in our church, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is just saying, stop for a minute. And let's, let's go a little deeper here. I've heard it in our life groups. I've heard it in conversations I've had with different people throughout the week. Um, that there's a bit of an undoing that's happening in people's lives. And, and I'm telling you, it's happening with me. And uh, I'm going to warn you right up front. There's a good chance I'm going to cry this morning at some point. <laughs> Maybe multiple times. Um, because it's, it's so personal. It's so near. It's so close. So I want to invite you this morning to, to avail, your, avail yourself to the Holy Spirit. Forget about the people around you. Um, as much as it is possible, forget that I'm even speaking these words. And let God speak to you this morning. Let the Holy Spirit do a work in you today. Here I am, Isaiah 6, 8. Isaiah is standing in the presence of God. In fact, in Isaiah 6, 1, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, I'm oh, sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I saw the Lord, which implies something. He was close. He was in his presence. Right? You can walk out that door and around the corner and I don't see you anymore. But if you're right here, I see you. Isaiah was in the presence of God. And I talked a little bit about this last week, how, what the presence of God does. We need to be sent out of the presence of God. Like I said, I feel like I got to that point too quickly and God's like, back it up a little bit. Linger in my presence a little bit. I saw the Lord and then down in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord again, close. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Here I am. And we talked about send me last week, but I want to land on here I am. 
Isaiah was present in that moment with his heavenly father. Fully present. God had done a, a restoring work, a forgiving work, a cleansing work. The angel had come with the coal and touched it to his lip, lips because Isaiah realized how broken he was and how needy he was. And God had uh, taken, taken care of that and, and painted a prophetic picture of what Jesus would, did, would do for us and has done for us. And it leaves Isaiah in a place where he's standing before his father simply saying, here I am. Here I am. It's God's heart all through scripture to be with his people. There's no place in scripture where you can go where you find that God is far removed. Um, some of you will remember this song. Some of you don't even know the person I'm talking about. But Bette Midler. And there it is. Um, sang a song. And she sang these words. From a distance. God is watching from a distance, right? Wrong. God is imminent. He is near and he is close. And it has been his desire since creation that he would be near to his people and that we would be near to him. And not just proximity. The name of our church is New Community. And someone was asking me the other day about the name. And I was like, you know, I wanted to go into, the, well, here's our vision, blah, blah, blah. Um, in fact, let me share this story. It's interesting coming in as a new pastor to an existing church versus church planting, which Megan and I had done before. See, as a church planter, everything's new, and you just make all the decisions from the ground up. And so the name of our church in Anchorage, we decided on that name. We picked it because it meant something to us. But when you come into an existing church that has a name, you have to learn to love that name. And that was my prayer uh, this last year. Lord, I, I want the vision. I want to understand why this church is called New Community more than it just sounds like a cool or Christianese name. And the Lord started birthing this in my heart. And some of you might have heard me say this before, but I think it's important for us to all hear it. See, the, the idea of community is lost to us. We don't really live in community. What we do is we live in proximity. I live around other people, and I see them. I might even see people I know at the grocery store on my street, but we really don't live in community. See, community implies that I know you and I know about you and I care about you and I'm willing to do things with you and for you, that I'm willing to, to give you the shirt off of my back, that I'm willing to care for your family and, and put your needs ahead of mine. That's community. We've lost that. We live in proximity. And I believe that in this church, what God is wanting to do and is doing and has been doing for many years is that he is building a new community, a new kind of community that in the midst of a disconnected society that he is connecting lives and saying, I want you to live with me and with each other in a way that is life-giving and building. And I believe that there is nothing more attractive to people and to the world than a, than a body of believers who care about each other intimately and deeply. See, God's designed us for capacity for relationship, first with him and then with each other. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam, and then he said it's not good for man to be alone, and so he created Eve. Now, God, Adam wasn't alone. God was there. But he recognized that Adam needed to have companionship other than just his own presence. 
But God was there with them, and he communed with Adam and Eve, and he walked with them in the cool of the night in the garden, and, and there was relationship, and it was close. And you remember that after Adam and Eve sin, after they eat the, the fruit, what do they do? What's the very first thing they do? They hide. They separate themselves from God because they realize that they are sinful in whatever form that took. They're trying to understand what's happening. All they knew is he's awesome and he's beautiful and he's majestic and he's perfect. And all of a sudden, I know I can't be in his presence. And so they hide. And can I suggest this morning that we've been hiding ever since? that we've been hiding ever since, and that God has been working a plan to reveal himself to us and for us to draw near to him. In Exodus 19, which we read just this last week, the Israelites are in the desert, and God says to Abraham, I mean to Moses, not to Abraham, to Moses, who's lead, led them out of Egypt, I want you, I'm going to come down on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, and I'm going to, I'm going to, Speak to you, Moses, and you can be in my presence because I've chosen you and I've consecrated you. And then even for Moses, he just got close. He didn't see God face to face. He just got close. But he said, consecrate the people and then have them come as close as they possibly can to the mountain. But make sure they don't cross over. Otherwise, they'll die because my presence is so awesome. But I want them to be as close. I want them to hear me speaking to you. In fact, in in Exodus 19.9, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that my people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. I want them to know me. The tabernacle that he instructed them to build, even the very construction of the tabernacle spoke about God's desire for his people to know him and even God's plan for redemption. Did you know there's one, one aspect of the tabernacle, the coverings over the top of the tent, there were four layers. The outer one was, was a, an animal skin that was dark. It was dark brown or almost a black color. The next layer was red. It was crimson. Layer under that was white, and then the fourth layer was a tapestry of purple and gold that was beautiful, and that was when you were in the tabernacle and looked up, that's what you would see. You see the symbolism for moving from outside of God's presence through the black, which is the sin. You ever had the bracelet, the gospel bracelet? Right, Those four colors, you go from the black, your sinful condition, through the red, the blood of Jesus, you're made as white as snow, and then you enter in to his kingdom and into his presence. And that there's this picture of Jesus, even in the construction of the tabernacle. Why? Because God wanted to have relationship with these people. He wants relationship with us. Daniel, refusing to stop, he refused to stop praying. He's like, you can kill me. I don't care. I'm going to spend time in the presence of God. So that became my stuck point. This question came up in my own heart. Do I hunger for the presence of God in my life? I mean, I, do I hunger? Not do I have a craving every now and again. Do I hunger for the presence of God in my life? See, in the Old Testament, there was a separation between God and man. They couldn't. 
There was no way. It wasn't even possible. In the New Testament, the disciples walked with Jesus. They literally walked with him like Adam and Eve had done with God in the garden. The disciples walked in the presence of God as Jesus introduced himself and brought him, put himself in our reality. For us, we have a total free access pass. The restrictions and the limitations that you see in the Old Testament, we don't have them. We don't have them. Can you imagine this? Disneyland. Prices at Disneyland, right? Gulp. Like the Southern California Select Pass where you can go like three days a year, right? And you have to mortgage your home to be able to buy it. If someone came to you and said, listen, I'm going to give you the top-tier Disneyland Pass, access to everything, in fact, Club 56, anytime you want, totally free, how often would you go? I think you'd be there a little bit. I'd be there. We used to have passes when we lived close and when it was a lot cheaper, and we were there like once a week. And that wasn't free. We paid for it. If it was free, how often would you be there? God has given us this free, all-access pass to his presence. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us draw near with confidence. Let us go boldly. Some translations say we can come boldly. Where Isaiah was, he had to stand back and he's just going, whoa. But because of Jesus, we can come boldly to his throne. And I know a lot of believers can quote that passage. Oh, I, I can go boldly. But do you? Going and talking about it are not the same thing. Amen? Knowing that you can and actually doing it are not the same thing. All right, I've got to warn you this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to James chapter 4. That's not what I'm warning you about. I've got, a lot of, I've got a lot of scripture. I've got a lot of passages that I'm going to read today. Um, they'll, they'll mostly be up on the screen so you can follow with them. Um, I would encourage you, don't try and flip to all of them because you'll miss it. Most of them are just short thoughts from scripture, thought, short, short verses. Um, if you want to jot down the references and then go read them again later, you can do that, um, but they'll be up on the screen. But I really believe that God wants to just speak to, him, speak to us out of his word, and then I'll have some points that I'll make just in a little bit. See, because I don't want you to take my word for it this morning. I want you to hear the voice of God. By the way, the selection that I have is a small percentage of what God's word addresses as his presence and our need to be in his presence and his desire for us to be in that place. So are you ready? Tighten your seatbelts. Put your tray tables up. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When you see the word righteousness, who's righteous? It's Jesus. It's the presence of God, right? And we're made righteous because of his presence, because of what he did for us, his death and resurrection. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be in the presence of God, to be like God, for they shall be satisfied. Do you hear both the hunger and the satisfaction? Right? 
Isaiah 26, 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. His judgments, by the way, is his word. It's his word, and it's what we hear. When we read his word, we hear his heart. My soul yearns for you, Isaiah says. My spirit earnestly seeks you. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so my so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David had a hunger for the presence of God. Second Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. That he's looking for those that would incline themselves to him and say, Lord, I want, I want to be in your presence. He's, I'm looking for you because I want to strengthen you. And not just kind of strengthen you. I want to strengthen you strongly. I, do you want God backing you? Yes. Right? He, he is. And I think we forget that sometimes. To give strong support. Amos 8.11, this is a warning. This is, this is kind of the opposite of what we're reading, but it's an important warning. Amos prophesied this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. That God's words are like sustenance, like they are life to us. And that when we are not hearing his voice and hearing his word, we are starving. We need to break the famine. We need to break the famine. Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Ha, enough said. (laughs) Psalm 27, 8. You have said... Seek my face. My heart says to your face, Lord, do I seek? Your face do I seek. In Psalm 105.4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seek his presence continually. I want to speak this morning about prayer and the presence of God. Prayer and the presence of God. And what prayer does in the life of the believer in ushering us into the, pre- the presence of God. Now we understand that because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, that the curtain of the temple was torn into and that God's presence was released in that moment across the earth. God had held himself back for, on our behalf. See, if the, if the presence of God had covered the face of the earth when we were in our sinful condition, we would have died before him 
And so God restricted and limited himself on our behalf because of his love for us. But when Jesus died and the curse was broken and that the curse of sin was destroyed, that curtain was torn into and the presence of God was freed into, into, into a place where God's presence is with us all the time. And we understand that as believers. That God's presence, when we say things like we're ushering in the presence of God, really what we're doing is we're getting rid of our distractions and remembering, oh yeah, God, you're right here with me. Because we get distracted. So he hasn't gone anywhere. We have. And we need to come back. And I love that it's not a huge journey. It's this. Oh. Prayer in the presence of God. Prayer and the presence of God. See, the presence of God must be a priority for the life of the believer. And I think sometimes we get into this practical, pragmatic approach to our Christianity. Just tell me what books to read, what verses to read, how much I need to pray, how often, how, many, how often should I go to church? Do I need to go to church to make sure that I'm not on the outside, but I'm on the inside? How much do I need to give? Do I really need to tithe? Just give me the practical stuff so I know how much I need just to get by. What keeps me in the club, right? Just think minimum effort. And that's not an easy word to to hear, and it's not an easy easy word to preach. But but I've lived there, even as a pastor. And God says, you got it all wrong, that my presence has to be a priority for you. In fact, you need a hunger and thirst for my presence. I mean, when you're hungry and you haven't had something to eat in a while, like, that's all you think about, right? You just, when's that next meal coming? Hunger and thirst for your presence. It has to be a priority for the life of the believer. James chapter 4, which is our key text this morning, says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <laughs> Once again, we like the beginning part of that, right? I draw near, he draws near, everyone's happy, and then he goes, no. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, but I'm under the blood. Yes. And we still make bonehead boneheaded, knuckleheaded decisions and walk away from God. And we reject his presence daily. And so the cleansing of our hands and the purifying of our hearts is not, is not like we're getting saved all over again. It's like we're, we're choosing to walk out of the mud and the muck and say, I, I, that's not who I am anymore. I need to be back here where the Lord is. And I need to just get the world off of me and the ideas and the stresses and the fears and the things that consume in this world. I need to get rid of those and I need to focus on the presence of the Lord. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Who does the drawing? I mean, who draws first, rather? We do. Draw near to God. It's an instruction. It's a, it's a command to you. You draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, for the person who doesn't know the Lord, the Bible actually says that he is drawing you to himself. But for the believer, when you come to a place where you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you say, Lord, you're the Lord of my life, he now puts this responsibility on you to say, 
you draw near to me. And I will meet you in that place. To the degree that you want to be with me and meet me, I will meet you. And I will sustain you. So just over 20 years ago, I met this gal at Life Bible College just down the street. And Megan and I started dating. And uh, I can honestly say I pursued her. But she didn't pursue me at all. <laughs> she was so focused on school, and she was like, I'm not getting distracted. And, uh, and so I had to pursue her, and I did. I went for it. And I just wanted to be with her all the time, to the point that she's like, leave me alone. Um, I, would, I would look for opportunities to be with her. I kind of figure out where she was going to be at certain times of the day, and then just happened to bump into her. <laughs> Sounds a little creepy. Um, but I did. I just always happened to be around. And, you know, we just, oh, hey, look at that. We're sitting at the same table in the cafeteria again. Wow, imagine that. God must have a plan. Um, <laughs> right? I just wanted to be with her. It took a little bit longer before she felt the same way about me. In fact, there was a season of breakup in there that um, wasn't initiated by me, but I'm thankful for, because God's like, yeah, you're a knucklehead, and I need to do some stuff in you. (laughs) But we ended up dating and got engaged, but I just knew this. I wanted to be with Megan. She's the person I wanted to spend time with. Can you imagine a dating, engagement, relationship that goes like this. Hey, listen, I'm really interested. I'm going to talk to Megan because it would be weird to talk to any of you. I I really want to be with you. I really like you. But can we just hang out like once or twice a week for an hour or so? And then I'm going to go hang out with other people, maybe even some some other girls. But but I really, I really like you and I feel like there's a plan. God has a plan for our lives. But I'm just going to give you a bit of my time. What would her response be? you're an idiot, (laughs) right? Get away. No. What if I came to her and I I, I got on my knee and I presented a ring and I said, hey, honey, I love you. I love, you know, would you spend your your life with me? Um, I want to be married. But of course, um, you know, I'd still see other people now and again and, and I would give my time primarily to other things in my life. But, but it would be convenient if we were married and, and we could live in the same place, and then when we got to hang out, we got to hang out. But otherwise, would she say yes? No, she'd probably punch me in the face. Come on. Especially if we had already established a relationship. Yeah, how do we treat the presence of the Lord? Hey, Lord, I need you. And we come to him in our sin, and we're like, God, uh, I want to be with you. And he goes, great. My son died for you and he rose again. And I've opened up the door for you to have free access to my presence, to my very throne room, anytime you want. Okay, Lord. Well, listen, I want to spend time with you, but I'm a little busy and I've got other things going on. So I'm going to give you some time on Sunday morning and maybe once or twice during the week, and I might listen to a sermon or sing a song in the car. I believe it breaks the heart of God. And we miss out. We miss out. 
So why does God want us to draw near? Because he says, I've got awesome things for you. But I need you to want it. I'm not going to force it on you. I need you to need me. I need you to hunger and thirst for my presence just like David did, just like Daniel did, just like Moses did, that these men and these women wanted to be with me. You have it, but you need the same hunger. And you need to realize that I will meet something in you that can't be met anywhere else. Do I have a hunger for the presence of God? So like Megan and I, some things go really well together. That's right. Peanut butter and jelly go well together. Beaches and sunsets go well together. Right? Come on. All right. But you guys are just sitting there in shocked, stunned silence. This is a little light note in the middle of the message. Chocolate and ice cream. Amen. Go together. A rainy day and a good book. Right? Go together. Or a movie. Right? Thank you. (laughs) Prayer is not a standalone activity. And I think sometimes we approach prayer in this way that it's just, uh, I got to check the box. Did you pray? Okay, I prayed. Yeah, okay, I did, I did my five minutes. I did my four hours. I did my whatever, right? Four hours of prayer. You know that even praying four hours, if you're doing it out of the wrong motivation, is not a good thing. Prayer is not a standalone activity. In fact, it works best when it is paired with other activities. And, and I've got four things I want to share. Four places, four pairings, I believe, will increase our, our, our awareness of the presence of God that will put us in a place where our distractions will be removed and we will see God the way that Isaiah did. I want that kind of experience every day. Oh, God, the church is awesome. Oh, I don't even have words. You're just awesome. That kind of experience. First is this, prayer and praise. Prayer and praise go hand in hand. They go absolutely hand in hand. They are so intertwined. In fact, you would be hard-pressed to read in Scripture and decide what's a prayer and what's praise. Read the Psalms. It is just all intertwined. But there is something powerful about music. I went to a Toby Mac concert last night, and it was so cool. And I was geeking out on the lights and the tech and how they were changing out the stage so fast. And I'm not a big music guy. If you get in the car with me, I'm either just sitting in silence or listening to news radio. That's just, that's where I live. Um, some of you are like huge music nuts. You're always listening to music. It's not, but I love to praise. And there was a moment last night where we weren't at a concert anymore. We were just in the presence of God as we were praising him. And it was, it was just cool. It was just cool. Plus, I had a fun night with Gavin, so it was really neat. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That there will never be a point in my life where his praise isn't on my lips, where I'm not praising God. And it doesn't have to be a song. The Bible says, sing a new song. Even says, make a joyful noise, which is what some of us do. Right? Can I get an amen? Make a joyful noise. 
Lord, that your praise would just always be on my lips. And when I'm praying and I'm praising and I'm in a place, and I will usually start, if I'm going to spend some time in prayer and just focus prayer, I start with worship because it just aligns me and it removes the distraction. And what it does is it magnifies God. Who of you have ever heard that term in church? Oh, magnify the Lord. I go way back there, right? How many of you would, would risk and say, you know what? I've sung the words, but, but for a long time, I had no idea what that meant. I, I, sounds cool. Magnify God. What does that mean? What it means is that I start looking at him, and I start, his presence comes so close and is so magnified. It's not that you're making God bigger, that you're drawing so close that you don't see anything else. Right, we have electron mi- microscopes right now where they can just see like these subatomic particles and they, they press in and, and, and they just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. That when you press into the presence of God and praise and when you worship him, especially when you, you praise scripture, just the, the facets and the understanding of who he is is just magnified and you draw so close. And in praise, as I pray and I praise together, his awesomeness becomes more real to me. Plus, music just has an effect on us. Even if you're like me, you're not a big music person, you know that music moves you. And not just your feet, right? It'll be like, I'm not going to dance, it'll be ugly. Um, <laughs> but it moves you. Plus, the auditory sense when you listen to something, you can be transported back into a time and a place like that. So you can just be humming a tune or hear a song, and you're reminded of the awesomeness of God. Prayer and praise go hand in hand. Second is this, prayer and silence. Prayer and silence. We live noisy lives. We live noisy lives. We live in a noisy world. The the idea of absolute silence is really lost to us because even if you're sitting in your home or in your car, you're hearing beeps and, right, whirs and noises in the dishwasher and there's that fork going click, click, click in the dishwasher and you're like, oh, anyone else? Yeah, you're like, and then you have to go fix it. um, We live noisy lives. And it's a struggle for us to be quiet, and some of us don't like quiet. We don't do well with quiet, because when you're quiet, you start thinking. And we love to disconnect. We use that term, right? Unplug. I just need to unplug. I'm going to just watch this TV show, because I just need to unplug. I'm going to listen to that song, because I just need to think about nothing. Because in those moments where there's quiet, and we still and quiet our hearts before the Lord, he starts going, I'm right here. Love you. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable. Because you remember, hi, it's been a while since we talked. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's like, listen, I don't need your help. To make me bigger. Now he calls for our partnership. 
But if you're, and, and I, I, I think the word, the caution here for us is not just for the person who's just busy talking all the time where there's noise in your lives and, and you're just distracted, but even for the person who's always just talking about the things of God. You're talking about God, but never talking to God. Can I say that again? I think some Christians get so busy talking about God that they never actually talk to God. And they're like, hey, I, I, have this, I have God figured out. I know this, and here's my theological points, and let me just get my Bible out, and I'm going to back that up with Scripture. And God's like, hello, I'd love to have a conversation with you about me. <laughs> be still. Be still that we need silence. We need to create space in our lives where we're just quiet. One of the major news anchors years ago did an interview with uh, Sister Teresa, and I, I forget, it was like Dan Rather or one of those guys. And in talking to her, he asked her, so Sister Teresa, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, I don't say anything, I just listen. And he said very cleverly, well, what does he say? And she said, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. And then she looked at him and he said, she said, I can't explain that to you. If you don't know God, you will never understand what I just said. <sighs> Sometimes I come to the Lord in prayer, and I'm just, blah, 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 blah. God, I need, God, I want, God, would you, God, would you, yeah, right? I pray for my church, Lord. <laughs> no, I do it in a better attitude than that. Lord, I... And I do pray for you. I pray for you. But, but we get busy. I have my list and my chart and this, and i got to pray this way. And God's like, just stop and listen. Without music, without a sermon, just listen. Be still. And I think all the more in our society and our culture as we get noisier and noisier and noisier, God says, be still. Third thing is this, prayer and solitude. Goes hand in hand with silence, but not always. Solitude, being alone. And some of you will squirm in your seats at the very sound of the word. And some of you are like, yes. <laughs> right? The need to be with people. Extroverts go amen, and introverts are like, oh, no. But even for an introvert... It's not just being alone. It's not just me time. It's you in the presence of God. So praying in such a way that you are just alone with God. I have a hard time with this. I'm a people person. And I get distracted by my own thoughts. Right? Anyone else? Like if I'm alone for 10 minutes... And I, my mind is all over the place. But that we need to take time away. Jesus withdrew to pray. And I want to show, I actually have three verses up on the screen. And I put them all on one because I, I want you to notice something. They're out of four, or three different passages, three, three different gospels. They all say the same thing and there's more. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Luke 5, 16. He withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And how, uh, how, how much did he do it? Often, right? It wasn't like Jesus took a once-a-year retreat to the mountains to be with God in a nice cabin, right? 
that he went into a wilderness often to be alone with God and pray. And rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Why desolate? Why, why isolated? Why, why withdrawing to the wilderness? No distractions. No distractions. And afterward, he, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. In fact, it keeps going, and he didn't even tell anyone where he was going. The disciples were like, we've lost Jesus, right? And they have to go find him. They're like, we didn't know. And he's like, ah, just time with me and my father. Can I just suggest this morning, if it was important for Jesus to do this, it's important for us to do this. To get into a place where we are alone in the presence of God without distraction. And that's going to look different for different people. It might mean that you set your clock once in a while to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. When everyone else is asleep and you're out in the living room by yourself just listening to the voice of God. It might mean that you get away every now and again. Find place to be in the presence. For me, my first experience was this, with this was when I was a kid living in Hawaii. We, my parents were with YWAM, and I was probably about 15 years old at the time. And my job on the YWAM base was to cut the grass. We had a lot of it, and it was Hawaii, so it grew really fast. I spent a lot of time on a tractor, a lot of time. And it was in a season where, um, it was actually 1988, because all my friends had gone on a missions trip to Korea for the Olympic Games, and I wanted to go. And I prayed about it and felt like God gave me a green light, only to be told I couldn't get a visa because I was a South African citizen, and I was crushed. Literally every single one of my friends was gone for the entire summer, and I had to stay back and cut the grass. And it was one day out in, we had two properties. The one was just this nice campus, and then the other was just a big field. I don't know why we cut the grass and there's just big, this big field, but it just gave people something to do, people like me. And I'm on this tractor just buzzing around the field, um, cutting the grass, and it was beautiful. I mean, I'm looking off, we're in the big island, and I'm looking out, and I'm seeing Maui, and it's gorgeous, and there's palm trees. But I'm bitter and I'm angry because I'm on a tractor and my friends are in Seoul. Back and forth, week after week. And I remember I could take you to the spot today, driving on that tractor. I can tell you the direction I was going where the Lord just spoke to me in the most gentle, tender way. And he said, I needed you on this tractor. I wanted you to be here because I wanted the time with you. I wanted you to hear my voice. And it's the first time in my life that I could say, and it wasn't an audible voice, but I just knew I was in the presence of God on a tractor cutting the grass. God wants to be with you so badly. And sometimes he will change your plans and you might get frustrated. Why did that cancel? Why did that happen? God's going... I'm trying to orchestrate it so that I get some time with you. 
like with Megan, I just happened to be where she was. God's like trying to intersect our lives and goes, would you just carve out some time and meet me in a place where I can speak to you? Prayer and solitude. And then finally this, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. One that we're probably more familiar with. Um, it's mentioned over 142 times in Scripture, by the way. Fasting in the Old Testament, fasting in the New Testament. It's not a New Testament thing. It's not an early church thing. It's a people of God thing. Israel fasted. Daniel fasted. The Ninevites fasted after Jonah reluctantly went and shared with them the message, right? Here am I, and I'm not going. Then he went. He shares the message. Then he's irritated that they actually respond to the message. But the Ninevites, their response is, we're going to fast and pray and ask for forgiveness, and God forgives them. All throughout Scripture, in fact, Luke chapter 5, 33 through 35, Jesus is confronted with, uh, with the Pharisees, who, of course, are just constantly peppering him with questions. And he said, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and, and offer prayers, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. What's the correlation? What's the connect here? That fasting brings us into the presence. Jesus is saying, I'm here right now, so they don't need to fast, but in a while, I'll be gone. And in order for them to experience my presence like they have while I've been here physically with them, they will need to fast. How often do you fast? I don't do it very often at all. And I think part of it is I don't understand the power of fasting. I haven't throughout my life. I can, I can unpack it in Scripture and point to it, but the reality is that fasting is a critical and key component in the life of the believer. That prayer and fasting will drive back darkness. In fact, the disciples come and say to Jesus, hey, we prayed for this guy. We couldn't drive that demon out. And Jesus says, because this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting, that fasting builds us spiritually in ways that nothing else will, that nothing else will. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Fasting is important. What does fasting do? It reminds me that I need to have a desire and a hunger for God like I do for that thing that I'm fasting. And I think we've come to a place in the church where you know, we'll say, hey, you know, fast, fast, what, it doesn't have to be food. Fast whatever. But I think food, okay, I'll be honest with you. Before I started studying for this message, I was kind of on board with that. But I think, I think God's intent is that we actually fast food. Not fast food, but <laughs> fast food. <laughs> and not just fast in a way that it's like easy, Right? There's a scripture in the Old Testament, Leviticus, that says that we're not supposed to eat bats, right? I'm living in victory right there. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to fast something that's like, right? David, David says, I'm not going to offer anything to God that doesn't cost me something. And so fasting, and, and fasting, by the way, is not a great diet plan. If you want to diet, diet, but don't combine the two. And by the way, if you're fasting, whatever you're fasting, when, when those times where you'll be partaking, whatever it is you're fasting, is supposed to be given to prayer. But when you fast and pray, 
stuff happens that you don't even and won't even understand. It's a discipline. God says, if you will hunger for me the way that you do for that meal, for that California roll, for that steak, for that Del Taco burrito. Okay, maybe not. Maybe some of you. (laughs) If you will hunger for me the way that you feel that physical hunger for that item, I will fill you and I will satisfy you. That prayer and fasting go hand in hand. So I ask myself this question, do I hunger for the presence of God? Do you? Do you really hunger? See, because we can talk about prayer and I can unpack the practical points of prayer. We can talk about the six different kinds of prayer in scripture and I can give you scripture references. But if you don't have a hunger for the presence of God, it's empty. It's just empty. You're empty. Do you have a presence, a hunger for the presence of God? God is wanting to fill you. Will you choose to meet him in prayer? Can we stand together? I want to suggest a book. I don't do this often. I believe much of what we read in the church today is a, is a, um, a cheap alternative to the word of God. Right? A lot of Christian books are just right, Christian self-help. Just read the Bible. Okay, rent is over. Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard will rock your world. It will transform your life. I encourage you, if there's a book, any one book that you have on your bookshelf in regards to spiritual discipline, this is it. Um, he, he, gives some, he unpacks some of these ideas even more. He talks about just the presence of God daily in our lives and what that looks like. Um, Because this is a lot deeper than we can even deal with in a Sunday morning. Father God, this morning, or just even sense now, your presence in a deeper, stronger, just like the the smoke that came down on that mountain, a thick cloud of smoke. God, I don't want to have a wispy relationship with you. Lord, we want to have a deep, thick, all-encompassing relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your presence, a hunger, Lord, an insatiable hunger. And the more that we try, the more that we, we, we press into the, you, the more that we draw near to you, the more that we will want to be in that place. I want to ask this morning, as every head is bowed and eye is closed, if you're hearing what I'm saying and you're going, Barry, I don't even know what it means to be in the presence of God. I've never received Jesus, and I feel like I'm on the outside listening in, and I want what you're talking about. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and made, make him the Lord of your life, I, want to, I don't want to move forward without giving you an opportunity to do just that this morning. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to take the first step of entering into his presence today, would you just raise your hand 
and look up at me so I can just agree with you. No one's looking around. I just want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to say yes. Father God, meet your people. Meet your people. Lord, as we even come to praise and worship once again this morning, would you speak to us? Would you meet us? Would you satisfy us in your presence today as we draw near? In Jesus' name.